Welcome to another episode of 35 West. My name is Moises Random, the director of the Future Venezuela Initiative and fellow of the Americas program at CSIS. With how professional the Mexican but are we ready? I don't reform trends in Argentina. Right. And that's what happened. No role at all in the NAFTA negotiation. After being one of the richest nations, Venezuela is now the poorest country in Latin American region. The country is undergoing an unprecedented humanitarian crisis that has forced over 5.2 million Venezuelans to flee their country. Despite being the second largest migration emergency in the world, Venezuela receives significantly less humanitarian assistance than other comparable crises. For example, since 2014, the Syrian crisis has received 33 billion in aid and South Sudan has received 9.4 billion. In contrast, Venezuela has received only 600 million, according to the UN. One of the most important sources of humanitarian aid is the private sector. Indeed, the private sector can play a critical role in providing desperately needed aid for the Venezuelan crisis. To discuss this, we're joined by Maria Moreno. Maria is the head of private sector engagement of the International Organization for Migration in the U.S. and head of operations of U.S. for IOM. Maria, thank you very much for joining us on 35 West. Moises, thanks to you for having me here, and it's a pleasure to connect with you and the audience on this very important topic. Maria, before we discuss the role of the private sector, let's, let's take a step back and discuss the scale and gravity of the Venezuelan migration crisis. Venezuela is on the verge of famine. A third of all people in the country don't have enough food to eat or are malnourished. And it, it is estimated that in 2021, the number of Venezuelan migrants and refugees will increase to 7 million. How does the Venezuelan migration crisis compare to other migration crises in recent history? And what are the most pressing needs of Venezuelan migrants currently and in the years to come? Well, Although the Venezuelan displacement is not really the result of conventional war or conflict, as we studied in the books, um, the ongoing political, human rights, and socioeconomic developments in Venezuela have led to the displacement of, as you said, of 5.2 million refugees and migrants into neighboring countries. And, and this exodus is already the largest in the modern history of Latin America and the Caribbean, and Actually, the conditions that Venezuelans face daily are not much different than those in active war zones. Venezuelans I meet during my visits across Latin America and the Caribbean speak of hunger, of lack of access to medical care, of insecurity, of threats, fear, of lack of income. They are families and they are women alone. They are young boys and girls and they are all in conditions of extreme vulnerability. And all of them saw no other option than just to leave their country, sometimes walking for days and, and seeking to live in dignity and to build a future. As you, and, and, and I count myself amongst the many Latin Americans that have been moved and impressed by the remarkable responses and, and the dedication and the solidarity of the governments and the humanitarian organizations and local communities I have visited, Main countries have maintained their hospitality and kept their borders open to Venezuelan refugees and migrants. And they have really shown solidarity with the Venezuelan people who have always been very generous in hosting a large number of refugees and migrants in the past. But a lot more needs to be done. 
there are still significant gaps and challenges, in particular regarding documentation, regularization, capacity of asylum systems, access to basic services such as health and education, shelter, protection, and socioeconomic integration programs. The issues of trafficking and smuggling are at its all-time high, and, and also there are worrisome signs of discrimination and xenophobia that have begun to sprout and actually casting a shadow over this traditional generosity of the region. Only a regional, comprehensive, predictable, and harmonized response to the needs of Venezuelan refugees and migrants can enable them to cope with the magnitude of their plight and, and really ensure their dignity and safety. Thank you. Yes, Maria. I'm, I'm, I'm not, we're going to get into that, but adding the COVID-19 implications of, on, on putting restraints on these countries are going to, I'm concerned about it because it's only going to create more problems for hosting countries. But before we get into the COVID question, like, you know, I know that UNHCR and IOM have been leading the UN joint coordination platform to respond to the Venezuelan refugee migrant crisis. Can, can you walk us through how this coordination platform was established and its role in coordinating the response from the international community? Yeah, this is this is an this is for sure a, a great example of collaboration and coordination. The regional interagency coordination platform was established by IOM and UNHCR in September 2018 at the request of the UN Secretary General. This platform strives to strengthen the coordination with existing, with the, within the existing humanitarian and, and UN architecture, um, as well as with receiving countries at the regional, national, but also at the local levels, and um, a coordination with civil society and the private sector to respond to the needs of refugees and migrants from Venezuela. In order to coordinate this response, UNHCR and IOM together with their partners, came up with what we call the refugee, the Regional Refugee and Migrant Response Plans, or what we call the RMRP, which has been developed and evolved to respond to the population needs in a holistic and comprehensive manner. It is really remarkable because it represents a leading example of interagency response with more than 150 partners, meaning, you know, NGOs, civil society, in the operational response in 17 countries across Latin America and the Caribbean. In a moment when national capacities and, and these host communities are being stretched to a breaking point due to the impact of COVID-19, the state capacities are under much more extreme pressure. And uh, I know we will talk about COVID-19 a little bit later, but I wanted to say that what the RMRP brings and, and what it represents is a call. It's an appeal for a financial requirement of $1.4 billion to cover for a broad range of activities in, in these 17 countries. And, and the COVID-19 initiatives and activities only represent $438 million of it. But um, I do wanted to say that there is a call, a joint call for, for this um, 1.4 billion. That's impressive. Well, now, now that you mentioned the RMRP or the 2020 Regional Refugee and Migrants Response Plans, can you share with us examples of have you been working with the private sector to address the needs? Yes, this is a very, very important 
topic and, and it's where I specialize on. So I can talk a lot about this and I will try to be <laughs> as brief as I can. Um, but I, 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 I do want to use this space to really convey what, what we have been doing. There is a wide range of, of like, as I said, of immediate and ongoing humanitarian and development needs in, in key sectors of the regional response from health to education and long-term recovery, but also socioeconomic integration programs. In the region, there are many good practices that we have worked with the private sector that are already in place, also in the world, that we have replicated in this response. And, and they, they have proven to work in other contexts and, and are being scaled up so we can reach a larger number of the population in need. IOM, and I'm going to be very quickly, but IOM works in four um, type of partnerships with the private sector. Number one, we work on advocacy, awareness raising, and knowledge building partnerships with the private sector, which seek to draw attention to specific issues with a view of promoting new perspectives on migration, you know, encouraging migrant-sensitive policies and building public awareness or support. This type of partnership is key to tackle the negative narratives or anti-migrant sentiments. Another type of partnership which has been on the rise, and it, it's no new at all, um, but, but I, I must say that I am impressed with what we have been seeing in the field, is on the innovation partnerships, innovation type of partnerships. We use the expertise of the private sector to develop or share new products, technologies, services, approaches that will enhance IOM's operational and strategic capacity. We have seen very interesting examples in, in Brazil with Venezuelans working on green jobs and green livelihoods. Uh, do you have any example of, of how the, the private sector has engaged uh, with IOM in, in, in your projects in the region? Yes, on, on innovation partnerships, actually, we, are, we have seen very interesting examples in Brazil with Venezuelans working on green jobs and green livelihoods initiatives. Combining the high demand in waste management and recycling jobs and the need to address environmental sustainability. And uh, we are, we're working on scaling up these initiatives that will provide jobs for a larger number of Venezuelan refugees and migrants in Brazil and possibly replicate them in, in other, in other countries of the region. Also, other type of partnerships, which, which are the ones that I specialize on is, is the, resource mobilization type of partnerships. I represent USA for IOM, which is a nonprofit arm of IOM in the United States. And what we do is really work with the philanthropic sector and, and the charitable spirit of the American people to mobilize funding to cover the needs um, established in, in the re regional response plan that support IOM activities. In other countries, uh, not precisely where... You know, I have been leading, but I have seen very good examples of collaboration with the private sector in implementing actual initiatives. So it kind of resembles a client service provider relationship or or a form of public private partnership that creates and promotes joint, joint efforts to address migration related opportunities and challenges, for example, labor migration programs and schemes. Yeah, Maria, I, you know, I just want to reinforce the importance of these points that you're making. I, I remember going to the border between Mexico and Guatemala to look at the flow of migrants coming from Central America towards North. And I remember talking to Facebook and then talking to UNHCR. They have established very good partnerships to leverage Facebook platform and credibility and, you know, access 
to provide guidelines to migrants on how how to travel more secure and where are the the asylum center distribution centers of information and and again the UNHCR website attracts way less migrants um, viewers than the Facebook platform right so that that was an incredible partnership that I saw myself and I was was impressed by it. I, I hope that type of partnership continues in, in, South, in, in South America as, as the Venezuelan migrants continue to flee the country. But now shifting years, Maria, into you know, how integrating Venezuelan migrants into local economies is an important task to that. We need to see more of that. And you know, we both know Venezuelan migrants are eager to find jobs and work. Porque es que yo te pudiera sen yo me yo me puedo sentar aquí a decirte todas las necesidades My children do not have shoes right now, for example. But that is not what I want right now. Nor do I want the world to see that we have material needs, but rather that we have a need for security. To be able to say, look, I'm going to start a business here because with it I will be able to support myself. I'm going to support my family, their basic needs, food, school, rent, and I will have peace of mind. Working a lot, killing myself, 12, 16 hours a day, but knowing that tomorrow my life will be better and so will the lives of my children. What role can the private sector play, whether in Colombia or Peru or Ecuador, Trinidad, Brazil, Spain, the U.S. and so many other countries in helping to integrate Venezuelans into their economies? That's a very, very important question. And, and I say it all over my all the platforms that I attend, that leadership from the private and philanthropic sectors is essential to increasing the representation of refugees and migrants in labor markets and, and really help with income generation and, and livelihoods. The private sector can promote business-to-business -business deals which increase private capital mobilization to benefit companies employing or benefiting migrants, as well as migrants with their aim generating income. A really good example of this is a collaboration that we've been running with the City Foundation since 2019. And thanks to their financial support, we, we are implementing a socioeconomic integration project to improve the livelihoods of Venezuelans and host communities in Colombia and Peru. Thanks to this partnership, which is one of the largest investments that City Foundation has supported in Latin America, we have been able to provide Venezuelan refugees and migrants access to financial inclusion opportunities, creating what City calls a pathway to progress. This initiative provides an incubator for mixed business ventures comprised of Venezuelans and a host country partner, so a Colombian and a Venezuelan or a Peruvian and a Venezuela, tackling a very important issue, which is also xenophobia or discrimination. So if we partner together, if we're working together, we're aiming at the same. We are promoting economic development, we're promoting financial inclusion, and promoting income generation opportunities for hundreds of Venezuelan, Colombian, and Peruvian families. This is exactly a model that we could replicate over and over again. City Foundation is leading an example with this this initiative and is serving as a catalyst for, for a transformational change, but we need more philanthropic investments so we can reach far more larger populations in Trinidad, in, you know, I've, I've been in Trinidad, I've told you many stories that I have, that I have seen there and, and, and we've heard in, in, in this 
audio that we played, the important contributions that migrants make to the societies that host them. Now, unfortunately, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Latin America is one of the regions that has been impacted the most in the world by the COVID-19. So I'm just curious, how have these efforts been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, well, as I said earlier, you know, and, and we have seen that Latin America and the Caribbean has responded to, 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 you know, to this unprecedented Venezuelan displacement with tremendous solidarity and hospitality, you know, and, and countries of the region have opened their doors for, for these refugees and migrants, despite the already economic and social challenges. The arrival of COVID-19 presents an additional challenge of unforeseeable magnitude putting health and social welfare systems to the test and, and as well as, you know, the country's own ability to maintain an inclusive society. So we had to revise, reprogram, reprioritize all of our response to include COVID-19 related interventions. And um, human mobility is directly impacted by the measures taken by countries to mitigate the COVID-19 spread. However, this exactly a scenario is what creates and exacerbates challenges. For example, increases the already high vulnerability of Venezuelan refugees and migrants and exposes them to adopt irregular mechanisms of migration and stay, um, putting their lives in hands of smugglers and traffickers, right? Like even if they're stranded, even if they want to return to Venezuela, there are no legal mechanisms of mechanisms of how they can do that posing a very high risk to their lives. So we've seen that COVID-19 has really exacerbated this situation. Migrants are more vulnerable to xenophobia and discrimination during COVID-19 times. It's really sad to see the reports over and over on that. But again, on a positive note, we, we've also received an overwhelming support from the private sector in, in addressing the mobility and migration aspect of the COVID-19. We've, we've worked with many corporations and their employee programs at want to design or to direct relief efforts to, you know, migration and human mobility to stranded migrants. So, so again, I think there's always a niche, there's always a way. And, and that's, that's exactly what, what I do to find this way. Yeah. Now, I mean, uh, you mentioned that diaspora is an important actor in supporting integration. And, and, you know, it's a little bit ironic on the Venezuelan side, because Venezuela is not used to be diaspora. It, Venezuela is a country that used to receive migrants and refugees from all over the world, right? From Europe, from Colombia, from Peru, from Ecuador, even from Mexico. But now it's quite the opposite. Venezuela has become the second most important migration source, you know, the migration hub in the region and in the world. So that's why this, I mean, CSIS and IOM have been looking in ways we can work together to advance the understanding of the role of the diaspora, right? And support, plan for action for their engagement. So can, can you share your views of why the diaspora involvement is key for integration interventions? Yes, Moises, actually, that's a very interesting question. I'm right now working with, with a very large diaspora um, and, and I would like to share. So I've been working in resource mobilization and, and diaspora engagement for humanitarian emergencies and programs for more than 12 years. And I can only say that, you know, thanks to, to what I have been able to learn in these past experiences is that both working with traditional donors and the private sector, um, it's fair to say that diaspora has a very important role. Um, referencing other crises, I have 
you know, for example, worked with diaspora associations and it member, its members to mobilize engagement and resources to address the humanitarian needs of their compatriots. The case of the Ethiopian diaspora is a very remarkable one, not only from the humanitarian perspective, but also for the stabilization of migration. And, and we have seen how diaspora associations and, and these diaspora-led corporations have been instrumental in the economic development of their countries of origin, of their countries of destination, through investment and innovation programs. So kind of referring to what you were saying about what we have been trying to work, CSIS and the future of the Venezuela Initiative and, and IOM and USA for IOM, we, we want to see, we really want to understand what is this role, what is this specific role that the Venezuelan diaspora can have all around the world, not only in, in understanding what this role is, but actually supporting their action and supporting an effective and an efficient engagement and action with, you know, that, that will promote in the end a benefit for, for all. Yeah, I mean, I agree. that As we had discussed, we have 5.3 million Venezuelans fleeing over the last few years. I think that's one of the most important assets that the country has right now. And many of them are professionals. Many of them want to help, but they just don't know or have the, the, the know-how on how to engage. So this is, this is a very important topic that I'm sure we will be working together. And I'm, I'm encouraging our audience to stay tuned on this. But to start wrapping up our conversation, Maria, and thank, thank you again for sharing your expertise on these issues. You know, the international community in, in many ways are listening to this conversation. Um, so let me just ask you, have you found the governments and aid organizations are actively seeking to collaborate with the private sector? And if not, how could this be a shift in your point of view? Well, I can only say that to address refugees and migrants increased economic barriers during the COVID-19 crisis that we're facing right now. And intersectoral collaboration with all sectors, including the private sector, is just essential. Business as usual is no more business. So we governments are, what I have seen is that governments are indeed not only supporting the need to work with the private sector, but largely convening and promoting its engagement in that response. Like that's the, the fair case of Colombia, where I have been leading the private sector engagement for IOM um, last year. So my recommendation is rather a call, is that the private sector is aware that we have established mechanisms to expedite the collaboration and mobilize support for the Venezuelan response. These mechanisms have been designed specifically to work mobilizing private sector support, such as the case of USA for IOM here in the United States, where I represent, and, and really mobilizing support and investment for a wide array of industries. I am happy to remain available and be the interlocutor to search for solutions that address both the interests of the response in the RMRP and the response plans, but also the interests of the philanthropic and private sectors. I've told you, Moises, many times that I remain very committed. I am Latin American myself. I, I do value and respect the Venezuelan people. And I do this from the bottom of my heart, not only because it's my job. So I, this is a call. <laughs> this is a call for more, for more support. Thank you, Maria. I think that was very clear, very, 
Very good. Last question for you. Beyond the private sector, what else can the international community do to address this unprecedented migration crisis from Venezuela in the months and years ahead? COVID-19 has touched everybody's life. I would say that we need to remain committed and continue supporting the response to Venezuelans and continue to be coordinated. As of the end of July of this year, our response plan, which I, I, I told you that, that we had appealed for $1.4 billion for, for only for 2020, we had only received $276 million. And, you know, that's, what, less than 20% of, of what we need. And what I see is just Venezuelan refugees and migrants are soaring and the host communities are stretched. So we need more international aid. We need to show even more solidarity. We need more collaboration with the private sector. And, and we acknowledge the efforts that have been done to support and fund the response, and such as a you know, recent international donor conference that the European Union led in May. All the support received that, that we have received from the United States is really remarkable and from other countries and from the private sector. But there's still so much that needs to be done. I am confident we can do this. And I really thank you for inviting me to discuss this very topic and, and help me and help my voice um, reach more people and, and let's together jointly just make this call to action. Maria, thank you so much for joining us again. And thank you for tuning in to this conversation of 35 West. We will continue to be releasing episodes to highlight the unprecedented crisis in Venezuela and what the international community can do to help. But thank you again, Maria. Thank you. For you, thank you again for joining. Stay tuned for the next episode of 35 West. <laughs> <laughs>